Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where we look forward to 2021 because 2020 was terrible. <laughs> so hopefully this can be a bit better. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm, I, I'm Hugo, and I'm joined by my usual co-hosts, uh, Jeff Grisolrich. Hello. And Josh Bradley with his coffee Hello, mug. hi, hi, hello. <laughs> Slurping his coffee. Anyway, so... <laughs> Might get that. Slurp, 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 slurp. <laughs> Yeah, Mike's working, Mike's working. Um, so this week, um, we're talking about um, two things. First, for our film to remember, we're talking about um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that came out at the end, sort of at the end of the year, uh, 2020, uh, on Netflix and is going to be talked about uh, during, you know, awards season. So we thought it would be an interesting movie to talk about now. And then uh, for our main topic, we'll be discussing uh, 2021 uh, and specifically we'll be talking about some of the movies that are coming out in 2021, hopefully, because hopefully everything doesn't get delayed again. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't we know. Don't know. I'll be honest, we're guessing. Just even the, we are like, hopeful hearing, on this podcast. Hearing 2021 with as frequently as people said the words 2020 last year, yeah. I swear it came up in every conversation. <laughs> oh my so, God. So, well, That's yeah, so 2020. True. But so even the number 2021 sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't because it, it doesn't sound like we've had a year. It sounds like it, that was just a, a period of time where time was stuck and nothing happened. But anyway, we're, we'll be talking about some of the movies that we're excited for this year uh, that hopefully do come out. Um, but uh, starting off, let's get into our film to remember, uh, which this week was Marini's Black Bottom, uh, starring Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. I would say are the two main characters. What do you guys think? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, how do we feel about just uh, basic, off the top thoughts? What, were, what did we think about this movie, Grizz? I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's. Uh, it. I mean, it went in directions I wasn't expecting. Uh, I also didn't have like I, I all I went in knowing when I first watched the movie I watched this a few weeks ago uh, was that everyone was telling me this is going to be a, a movie to talk about come Oscar season so I went in with just the expectation that I was seeing a good movie I didn't know any of the history of Ma Rainey I didn't know you know anything about the play that this you know is based on and you know it was really well done it, I mean it, it did it still felt like a play to me which might not be an appeal to some people, but I actually liked the very, you know, nature of it being like you're in the theater yeah. uh, watching the play. Felt felt very cool to me. Yeah, I agree with that. Josh, what do you think? Uh, I also liked it a lot. Um, like Grizz, I actually watched it a few weeks ago when it came out, and then I watched it again, like this week, in preparation for this podcast. And, you know... Uh, common thread for me is that I, I like movies more the second time I watch them. Uh, I definitely like this a lot more the second time. Um, I think the first time the uh, the one takeaway after the first viewing was the performances from Chadwick Boseman by Old Davis. They're both very powerful and like that's kind of like the, the headline of the movie as you're walking away. It's like, wow, that was some really good acting. But uh, when I watched it the second time, I kind of got to dig into the, the story a little bit more and kind of really pay attention to uh, the themes and also the staging. Uh, Grizz mentioned mm -hmm. that it felt a lot like a play. I agree, but I think they also use the um, use the space to, you know, get some storytelling across. And I think uh, I think this is actually really good. And it, well, the, uh, the, the things that are good about it weren't apparent to me. Quick. Yeah, sorry, sorry, just real quick. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to interrupt a bunch this week. But uh, I did want to say when I say like you're in the theater, it felt like a. I don't know if you've ever seen a a, a theater production in a black box theater. 
no. where you know like the entire space is the stage yeah right. it felt uh, like that sort of production go ahead go ahead josh yeah yeah i mean and i i think that um you know they are theoretically limited just the scope of the story is limited because it was once on a stage but um, I think that they made good use of that in the movie, in the adaptation. And, um, again, I think some of the staging is really clever. And, um, I guess my point is like, I liked it a lot more the second time because some of the things about it didn't immediately jump out at me and maybe shame on me for missing them on first, first go around, but, um, pay attention. And there's a lot of good subtle stuff in this movie, I think. Hugo, yeah. what do you think? Um, yeah, I also really enjoyed it. I, I like the theatrical element. I feel like I, I think it's because it, I think the way that it most feels like a theater production is, first of all, the, the locations, obviously, because there's it's basically one location with a few different rooms of the same location um, making the whole of the movie. There's a few scenes outside mm-hmm. on the street, but overall, it's pretty much one location. Uh, but what I enjoyed a lot about this is that um, the acting really feels like it's a theater production. It it really it's really I don't know how to explain it. It's not over the top in a in a negative way. It, it it's very theatrical. It's it's the not the natural. Bit. Yes, it's not naturalistic, but it really works uh, because of the fact that this comes from theater and yeah, this is the way that sort I sort of a heightened speech. It's definitely heightened. Um, and there's a lot of monologuing and that sort of thing. But I feel like it, what this can improve on, on what would be a theatre production of the same story is that because they use a lot of close-ups and they really put you in the in the room with the characters, you feel their emotions. Uh, you know, I, I think you feel their emotions a lot more because you're, you're so close to them. And um, yeah, performance is amazing. Um, Javik Bozeman was heartbreaking in this film for me uh, yeah man for real um for for real world he's he's a brilliant actor and he's great in the film and add on top of that the real world situation of him unfortunately dying yeah while I he mean, was making we're not, this like, we're not in the spoiler section yet, are we Riz? not yet but I, okay. I can throw no, 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 we don't yet. need to be yet but like i mean there's there's a scene in the middle where he yells at god and says strike yeah. me down god and he said this within a presumably a few months before dying yeah. of colon cancer at the age of 42, which is, yes. uh, you know, like you said, pretty powerful uh, real-world context. Yeah. He's he's literally talking about uh, death and mortality and how unfair life is, which works both um, for him as a black man and within the story for the character as a black man who's being ex- exploited for just being an artist and yeah. uh, not getting his due. But it also works for him in real life because he was dying when he was making this film. And he, I believe he finished the role and he died a few weeks after the production was finished. So, yeah, it worked for me on that sense. You know, and I, for one, was not aware of his illness. I know that it was, no one you was. Know, not, a, it was not a publicly... Like, obviously, some people had to have known about it. Yeah. But uh, you know, the fact that they kept that under wraps and that he carried himself through all these productions i never would have guessed uh because this wasn't the only movie that he's made while battling colon cancer mm-hmm. and i know my my mom passed away from colon cancer when i was a freshman in college and i know what her battle was like and it's like i'm just so impressed by the strength of his character uh, not the strength of his character but the strength of his character yeah. <laughs> right 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 yeah and uh and you can actually see that you can see that in the movie uh this was very easily 
a role that he could dive into because uh, he was had I'm sure he had a lot of his own emotions about his personal situation that he could bring to light uh, through his character here. It was very, very, very good. Yeah, you know, I think among other things, this this movie is just a... For me, it makes... His, his death is already extremely sad. Uh, he doesn't need to be a good actor for his death to be sad, but, like, he nah, is a great actor, agree. and, like, it's a major loss for not just his, his family and his friends, but also, like, the industry. And, like, for us as audience members, it's it sucks. You know, uh, and he's... He's so good in this, and he had a potentially long career ahead of him where he could have given us more movies like this, and you know that's it's a major loss for, for for the industry. I feel like he was just finally like he was reaching the pinnacle of his career. Yeah, like yeah. You know, he's been on the climb for a very long time, and he's had some really like stellar roles that you know, and he's jumped into some very iconic historical figures. But I, I mean, just looking at the five bloods and Ma Rainey's black bottom. And then of course, black Panther being what it was like, I think we were just getting to the Zenith of his, of his, you know, pop yeah. culture relevance. And it's, you know, makes it an already tragic story, even more tragic. But, uh, so we, so we, we haven't talked about the movie itself much, uh, real quick, just a plot rundown before we get into spoilers, <laughs> just so we can yeah, yeah, get yeah. some context what we're talking about. Okay. So, uh, this is based on August Wilson's play. It's one of, 10 in his Pittsburgh cycle. Are you guys familiar with the Pittsburgh cycle? I am, I am not. not. I only learned about it because of Fences three, four, three yeah. years ago now. Um, so August Wilson wrote 10 plays, each set in the different decades of the 1900s um, about the black experience in America. And so this is his play from the 1920s, and Fences, I guess, would have been his play from the 1950s. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, he, he wrote 10 plays kind of like thematically tied together, and this is one of them. And um, I guess story-wise, it just is the uh, it's a recording studio, and their um, four band members are there to record songs with uh, Ma Rainey, who's this female black singer who's very popular again in the 1920s, and um, that's which is a, which is sorry, it. a real uh, historical figure. She's a real yep. historical figure. I'm not yep. sure how accurate this is to her. I I like Grizz. I never I didn't know much about her before this movie. Um, but she's played by Viola Davis, and uh, the trumpet player in the band is a man named Levy. Levy? Yeah, Levy. Levy. Played by Chuck yeah. Bozeman, who um, is very cocksure and has a swagger about him and has these grand ambitions to have a band of his own and not just play with this jug band, as he calls them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, things kind of go south for Levy uh, towards the end of this movie. Yeah. Uh, Massively. Not quite in spoilers yet, but it's a tough, tough break for Chadwick Boseman. It's a very, very tragic character, and uh, you know, tragic play in the scheme of things. So, are we going full into spoilers? I think we should. Yeah, because we're we're, yeah. we're dancing around it. So, <laughs> going into spoilers, um, the ending is what put the whole film into focus for me, because mm. I was I was feeling the power of what was being. Um, said and what the actors were going through what they had gone, gone through in the past we we find out about uh, Ma Rainey's struggle being a singer who she completely understands that the white man at the time was only using her for her voice but they didn't really care about her and we get Levy's backstory of him um, of these white men uh, he lived in the south uh, basically raping his mother in front of him and his father seeking revenge but then being killed as well so he, they all have this tragic background and I felt it, but I, I, I didn't know what the film as a whole was trying to say 
how, how it was going to bring all of it together. And the end uh, where essentially Levy has written this song and the white producer uh, just gives him a few dollars for it and so he had promised that they would he would let them let him record it but they don't and then he ends up being so angry that he kills one of the other uh, band members R.I.P. Toledo in a tragic moment yeah R.I.P. Toledo poor guy um, in a tra- in a really tragic moment and it's heartbreaking especially because of the performance and um, and then the final scene is what really nails it for me that the final scene we see Levy's song that we've seen him uh, sing and and, and played little bits of during the film writing that he was writing um, being played that 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 the producer had basically stolen for for a few dollars from him being played by this white band in the most boring recreation yeah Yeah, also Uh, in the most boring stale recreation of blues ever they were like animatronics of Chuck E. Cheese to the way they were yeah. playing that song. They're just like yeah. so uh, static and, uh, and not uh, not jazzy, not yeah. not jazzy, not bluesy at all. It was honestly really depressing. Well, I, I, yeah. I don't know if Hugo like how familiar you are with American music history. I am. Um, this was not an uncommon story. No. I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I am mean, rel- some relatively of the, the most some of the most famous you know white singers of all time got famous off of black people's music absolutely and and you know elvis presley you know a lot of a lot of his number one hits were also yeah uh, already sung by other other you know musicians and they of course did not get the credit yeah. that people like elvis elvis obviously isn't the only one but you know yeah but exactly because <laughs> chuck berry was playing at the same time as elvis but elvis is the king and the inventor of rock and roll despite the fact that chuck berry was also playing at the same time and and really well, martin mcfly is the inventor on... of rock and roll actually yeah marty mcfly invented rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah um but hugo hugo you you got me you mentioned something that i think is a <laughs> the real the real uh lead into the to the what's going on in this movie is uh ma Rainey's speech about um the black man only yeah. uses her because she uh, makes music and makes money for them. And that's, I think, kind of the whole point of the movie, is that is. Um, uh, the the power dynamic between um, well, black people in the entertainment industry, particularly in the early 1900s, and also beyond the early 1900s, um, they were... There, there's, there's a power in their economic viability, right? Yeah. And so I, I think that this, this whole movie is about a, a power struggle. Um, in a big macro sense, but also like between individuals, um, mm-hmm. Ma Rainey has has power because she can make people money, and therefore people are the white people in the movie are willing to put up with a certain level of behavior from her. Uh, she's difficult. That's she that was like my my she's, big takeaway in the first first viewing is she's very difficult to work with. She's um, very demanding. She's not very friendly with anybody, and I, I kind of didn't really get why she was like that and then she explains exactly why she's like that to to cutler later in the movie which is you know i have power as long as they want to record my voice i have power over them and they have to accommodate me so i'm going to get every inch of every inch i can out of that power because once i sign on the line and they have my voice they got no use for me and i'll be discarded and she's exactly exactly right um and um like later in the movie towards the very end uh they try to stiff her a little bit on the payment they try to not pay uh her nephew who's there recording with her and they said we'll pay you out of your paycheck and she says no you pay him what he's owed and pay me my full money 
And then uh, the only reason they acquiesced to that is because she hadn't signed the release form on her recording. Yeah. And um, so she predicts exactly what's going to happen at the midway point. Yeah, that that scene is also a brilliant moment. It's one of the great monologues of the film. Um, Viola Davis, in this role, she she's playing this uh, this woman who's who's just doing everything she can to be demanding and annoy these people because she knows that as soon as she's recorded the songs, they, they have no need for her anymore. And at the same time, right. she really doesn't want to be there. She just, she knows she has to because she has to make money off her music, but she really wants to go back to the South, to her people, to her fans and singing her songs on her tour. Right. So. And, you know, there, there's also discussions in the, uh, so the, the rehearsal space for the band is down below in the basement, which I think is one of the, uh, one of the bits of staging that I thought was pretty clever in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the title of the movie refers to, it's a triple entendre. It refers to uh, a song, the title of a song that Ma Rainey sings, which is like, the song is, the song title is a reference to a dance, but it's also a double entendre of her ass. Yes. And the third, um, <laughs> I think the third interpretation of the title is a, a black bottom. You know, these four black men spend the entire movie, you know, in the basement, basically, yeah. um, of this recording studio that's hot and stuffy and the ceiling fan barely works. And uh, there's no lighting and that kind of thing. And um, at the very end, when Mr. Sturdivan, the white producer, kind of shoots down Levy and says, you know, I'll take your songs off your hands for $5. That's the best I'm going to do. There's a shot of him ascending the stairs from Levy's point of view at the bottom of the stairs. And I thought that was uh, pretty meaningful, um, you know, in terms of. You stay down you here know, and I'm going up there. Yeah, you know, climbing the economic ladder in America and, and how difficult that was. Uh, Ma Rainey had been able to do it, but Levy was shut out you know he thought he had this he had the same opportunity Ma Rainey had but they'll do you know these white producers will do anything to not have to deal with someone like Ma Rainey or someone like Levy it's so much easier yeah. to just pay them for their trouble and have their white band record it is even though it, it sucks when they do that like <laughs> it, the music it really sucks. Does. um I, but I also think that uh I think that the opening couple minutes of this movie really prime you to what you're about to see again once I was able to watch it twice that so, you know the the first few minutes really struck me more the second time um, do you guys remember what the opening images are of this movie? It's it, buying a pair of shoes. No. That, isn't, that's isn't, like, it that's a in. isn't it the concert? Isn't it the concert? Yes. The first, first well, yes. Oh, right. So the, the first yes, the right. first the first beat is Ma Rainey playing a concert, but that's not the first thing we see. Um, I've said this on this podcast before, I'll say it again. Uh, opening images, uh, I always pay a lot of attention to opening images and opening lines because there's that's that's valuable real estate. Um, the opening image in this is, uh, two young black men running through the woods at night in period clothing. And they just, they just drop you into that without any context or anything. And they seem to be running from something. Turns out they're running to something, but like you see two black men in period clothing running through the woods and you hear dogs barking in the distance. You immediately think runaway slaves. That's like the, the image that came to my mind for me. And that's kind of a, a narrative head fake because it turns out they're actually running to this tent to see Ma Rainey perform. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting choice to begin, particularly when you're talking, you know, a movie about climbing the economic ladder and how difficult that is for black people and, you know, kind of being trapped into this, you know, trapped down below yep. by white being people for it, yeah. it, it's, as much as they can, you know, they'll, they'll pull them up the stairs if they can make the money to sing into a microphone, but then they're going to push them back down as soon as they can. Um, and then, so, these two guys are going to a tent to see Ma Rainey perform in the opening scene, 
And in this opening scene, Ma Rainey's performing, and then Levy jumps, uh, you know, jumps to the front of the stage for his trumpet solo and literally steals the spotlight. The spotlight goes off Ma Rainey to Levy, and then she steals it back from him, which I think is, again, a literally. good microcosm for the power dynamic really upstaging each other yeah yes. between yes. them and like what and like what levy is going to try to do in this movie and what my Rain's going to try to do which is keep any amount of power she can and her power is people want to hear her sing and so she uses that to get the spotlight back um yeah it's like a really clever things like that scene. those are those are things that you don't notice in your first viewing but once you like kind of know what the movie is like mm-hmm. a lot of stuff like that jumps out at you yeah yeah to the point well, that i, I could remember know, the concept talking, but i can remember that scene specifically sorry go ahead Chris. yeah yeah i i didn't like i said i did not i did not commit to me to memory the part where they're running you know and of course now that you've said that i'm like oh yeah that does that, that is interesting sense. yeah <laughs> that's yeah. very interesting yeah <laughs> uh and like i think i imagine when you were talking earlier about uh the you know, white guy ascending the steps having taken what he needed from levy uh i imagine that that scene is ripped straight from the stage production i'm sure of yeah this Probably. Uh, even, you know, down to the lighting in that is, you know, just so, you know, stage production to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But also, like, more things about the staging, though. Like, there is a, a room in the in the recording room that it's a locked door. Then, like, early in the play slash movie, Levy tries to open the locked door, and he can't. And he, he tries multiple times. And then, finally, uh, Ma Rainey fires him in the third act, and he goes down and, like, kicks the door in to try to like break through and turns out it's a door to nowhere. It's a door to, was, you know, four walls that are still enclosing him. I think there's probably a metaphor in there. I'm yeah. not an English very major, subtle one. but yeah. I think there's a metaphor. <laughs> Levy trying to break down a door and ends up going nowhere. So, um, yeah. again, I think the staging is, is clever and in, in the, in the storytelling they're able to get in. Also, even like, you know, when they're in the recording space, like the two white guys standing above, like in a elevated in the recording, recording booth, booth to, yeah. you know, looking down on, Ma Rainey or four black guys making this music. That's also, yeah. you know, kind of telling, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, there's a ton of symbolism in, in this movie, and yes. obviously from in the play itself. Uh, and it is not, well, at least to me, it's not particularly subtle. But I kind of like that it's not that subtle, because I think it's driving home a message that, sadly, still needs to be driven home uh, <laughs> about the way you know, minorities are treated in the United States, even now. This is set years ago and hundred years ago. We continue almost. to face yeah. we continue to face similar problems to this and yeah, it's it's sad. But so and that's it, the power of a movie like this is that uh, you know especially when they get it when it gets into the Oscar discussion, though it's gonna bring forward the message and the symbolism that's that is throughout this movie and put that to the forefront for people who otherwise might have skipped this movie. Yeah. What, you had something you wanted to add, Hugo? Yeah, and it's not just the discussion on racism, which obviously is a gigantic deal today uh, as it was in the 20s, Um, but it's also the idea of cultural appropriation and how, you know, certain certain sectors of society exploit uh, another sector of society's culture to make money. Um, you know that, that that's a discussion that's it's something that's still happening and exploit their labor too yeah their labor and yeah. and, and, and their culture and their art uh, in order to make money it, it, it's very it's very topical and feels like something that could happen today like the film could be about <laughs> a, a, a hip-hop recording artist and it would work 
I just wanted to say because Josh and I both put our fingers up, like we both had stuff we wanted to say <laughs> at the same time. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about like you know recently we watched Citizen Kane before Mank, and to draw sort of a, a, a parallel with Ma Rainey and Citizen Kane, uh, I felt like they used the lighting and the staging of you know like like we talked about with people being elevated and stuff like that. It, it's similar to Citizen Kane in the way they they use that to to tell the story of the story Hmm. uh so it's you know like you see a lot of times where uh characters are having a dark moment they enter into the dark spaces of the 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 room right uh you know and and that's you know obviously that's a very common place thing today and you know but it's something that citizen kane was well known for was the lighting and you know how they use that for symbolism what did you want to say josh I wanted to talk about the Oscars and this movie. Let's uh, do it. Let's I think do it. that we um, – I, I briefly mentioned last episode, I, I was talking about Hassan of Metal and Riz Ahmed in that and his Best Actor chances, and I said there's a different frontrunner this year for Best Actor, and that has to be Chadwick Boseman. Um, yeah. You know, the Oscar, Oscar season is a little weird this year because, like, the film festivals that usually precede the Oscars, like, some of them happened, some of them didn't, and, like, the Oscars are two months later than they usually are, so, like, it's hard to, like, tell where the Oscars stand right now, but I think the it's one thing that people have been talking about is, is Chadwick Boseman. Maybe not as a yeah. completely sure thing to win Best Actor, but mm-hmm. pretty close to a sure thing to win Best Actor. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is also in this conversation, but the fact mm-hmm. that Chadwick Boseman tragically passed away in August, I think, is, is helping, but... Um, yeah. I don't think it's helping that much. I think this performance is just outstanding and unreal. And uh, if he wins, it'd be very well deserved. Not yeah, just I, I don't think it would be undeserved. Yeah, that, that's you know when uh, you know Heath Ledger passed away after his performance as the Joker. Uh, there was a lot of people who you know talked about you know did he actually deserve it? You know this is a comic book movie. Is, is it really that great of a performance? Mm-hmm. Or is are we giving it to him because he died? And I, I think that people might still ask that question if Chadwick Boseman wins, but I think the answer will be resounding. No, he kind of deserved it for no, this, this role. It, yeah. This you know, performance is Oscar worthy, and I don't think yeah, anyone 100%. could deny that. Yeah, and he also might get a double nomination this year because uh, I thought he was amazing in, in the Five, five Blood as five well. Blood. So yeah. Uh, I agree. I think he's one of the best parts of that movie, too, which, yeah. as we discussed last week, is also a really good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, do we have any final thoughts on Marini's Back Bottom, or do we want to skip? Uh, do we want to go ahead and rank it on our FTR list? Let's rank it. Let's rank it on the Film to Remember list. Okay, so, uh, as we do every week, we rank the, our films to remember that we discuss every week on a single list that is going to soon become really unwieldy. But uh, it's fun. It's just a fun thing to do. Um, so the current that's list. That's why it's going to be fun. Yeah, that's why it's fun. Uh, the current list is at number one we have Citizen Kane. Number two we have The Thing. Uh, John Carpenter does The Thing. And number three we have It's a Wonderful Life. Number four Rudy. Five Mank. Six Jackie Brown. Seven Sugarland Express. And eight Godfather Part Three. Slash so, Coda. Slash Coda. The Death of Michael Corleone. Five Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, that title is ridiculous. Um, uh, so I, if I can start, I would rank it, I think, either at number three or at number four. I would put it above Rudy, uh, below It's a Wonderful Life. Well, we know you'd put life. it above Rudy. <laughs> yeah, let's not get into that. Um, 
Yeah, it's either <laughs> above or below a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life for me. What do you guys think? Lower for me. I'm thinking between Mank and Jackie Brown is where I'd put it. All right. Number six. Uh, Maybe even below Jackie Brown, but I think above Jackie Brown for now. Yeah, looking at the list, I think I would put it above. I would put it below It's a Wonderful Life. I would put it above Rudy, but. Which, Sounds yeah. like you are splitting the difference between us then? Sounds like. Yeah. That's... Uh, above Rudy, but below It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, so if I say. I, I would probably put it above It's a Wonderful Life, so we would go below It's a Wonderful Life, and it would go above Rudy, yeah. I guess. Right? Yeah. But I say below Mank. You say below so, Mank. But I we think both... we're averaging. I think we're averaging between It's a Wonderful Life and Rudy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's our number so that, four. So that's where it would be. I would put it. But again, list is a mess because Jackie Brown should be like number three at least. So You don't have to say that every time we talk about this, Hugo. <laughs> I, so far you have. I am um, going. I'm going to say it every time. Uh, you, you no, I'm stop. You, gentlemen, se- you guys t- segue into our next topic. I have to go find a computer charger real quick. I'll be back down in two minutes. So yeah, yeah, you go guys ahead. go ahead. Okay. Okay, so for our main topic is uh, our 2021 preview, or rather it's uh, a section in which we're going to talk about some movies that we're excited for in 2021. Um, so first thing, uh, we we want to do a sort of a quick uh, rundown uh, of all the movies that are coming out this year, and it's going to be a crazy year because a lot of stuff got delayed, a lot of movies were supposed to come out in 2021 anyway, so it, it, there's so much stuff that is supposed to come out. Uh, we'll see if something gets delayed. Um, shall we start? Maybe in our rundown, we can start from. Uh, okay, well, we. I'll just. I'll, okay, Josh is back. I just want to say before we jump into, like, I I just wanted to ask. Uh, for me, I usually find out about some movies, uh, you know, all, articles and news reports about movies. I'll I'll hear about some of that. Yeah. But most of the movies when I. D- determine that i'm excited about a movie it's watching the trailer in a movie theater is the fact that we haven't been going to theaters in the last year uh, made it harder for you to find movies to be excited about or have you guys always been more into the movie news sites uh, um, well and that and that's how you determine when you're excited yeah not really for me because um when i go to movie theaters um trailers are usually italian and i kind of uh, don't i really i never like the translations and i kind of tune them out and a lot of the trailers like they, they often show a lot of italian crappy italian comedies so i sort of tune out that part and i never really uh, discover films that way but uh, rotten tomatoes uh, or tomatoes if you're american every year uh <laughs> publish sort of a huge rundown of all the movies that are supposed to come out uh, uh in the following year and I quite often just read that and then either make a list or add them to my watch list on Letterboxd. And then that's how I know which movies I'm excited for and which movies I'm not. What about you, Josh? I usually just have a sense of, like, these are some people whose movies I've liked in the past. What are they What are they up to yeah. this year? Um, are there any movies coming out this year that are made by, even if just uh, someone who's made one movie? Like, for example, uh, Under the Silver Lake, which we talked about in our first episode. I was very excited that for that movie just because David Robert Mitchell had made a really good movie in It Follows. So even mm-hmm. though it was only his second movie, I was still excited about it. Um, so I usually try to you know figure out who's making what um, and have a sense of when those will be out. Uh, but mostly I think it's just like podcasts and Twitter. Yeah. It, it sounds stupid, but that's like where I get a lot of my information from. Like I'll 
pull up Twitter and people be talking about this trailer for this A24 movie that had just dropped. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if I never heard of anybody in it, I'll give it a watch. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and they they do my job for me and kind of talk about, I mean, I just listened to several episodes of podcasts about what people are excited for in 2021. So, yeah. you know, keep my ear to the ground that, that way, I guess. Yeah, it's for me, it's always, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll hear some stuff from movie news sites and things like that, but mostly it's just I go to the theater so often that I'm seeing trailers for new movies all the time, and that's mm. that's <laughs> yeah yeah, and that's how I usually get excited for movies. So this has been an unusual year where like I, you know, I'm aware a lot of these movies are coming out, but I haven't seen a whole lot about them because mm. you know same I haven't yeah going to the movie theater yeah <laughs> a, a lot of like. I, I had to pull up the Wikipedia pages for like several of the movies we're going to be talking about just so I can like have something to say because I don't really know the details off the top of my head. I just know I'm excited because this person's making it and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, pretty much. So we, we were going to do a rundown, yeah, right? Yeah, so I, I sort of made a rough list of some notable releases for this year and I divided into, into some different groups. So uh, first of all, we have the first group, which are... We, we had a discussion about this because movies that are competing for the Oscars because the Oscars are a bit later this year. Uh, I believe they're in April. The the Oscar window. Right? The Oscar window usually is just the calendar year, so December thirty yeah. first is the cutoff, but this year the cutoff is like sometime in February because of COVID. Sometime so in like February. there are some movies yeah. that that will not be released until January, February that are still competing like against Ma Rainey, for example. For Ma Rainey will compete against yeah. Yeah, yeah, these yeah, movies yeah, yeah. for Oscars. So the movies that if you go to the IMDB page, they might be listed as twenty twenty films, but they're still releasing in twenty twenty one for the vast majority of the audience. And so we, we, yeah, a lot we of decided these, to include a lot of these played a lot of these played festivals in twenty twenty. Like some of them were released at Sundance, some of them at Venice or Toronto. So like only film press have seen them, but like exactly. the general public has not yet had a chance to see these. Yeah. So some of these are so movies like Nomadland, which is uh, seems to be a favorite in many category categories. Am I wrong with that? Quite possibly a best yeah. picture frontrunner, yes. Yeah. Quite possibly a best picture frontrunner. I'm excited for that one. Uh, I'm not going to go into huge details about it, but you know, Frances McDormand is yeah. the star of that. She is. And she's brilliant in everything I, she does. She's a very good actress, uh, but most of the movies I've seen her in, she plays a, a kind of unlikable person for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like gruff. Mm-hmm. And I, th- from what I saw of the trailer for this, uh, she seems more endearing in this one. So I'm excited to see her in a role that I'm not used to seeing her in. Watch more Coen Brothers movies, dude. Because she's endearing <laughs> she's a lot of those. Delightful, so. those, yeah. <laughs> she's also great in in uh, what's that movie called? That um, uh, Wes Anderson movie, uh, second to last uh, movie he made. Oh god, what's it called? Uh, uh, the one about Moon, the Boy Scouts. She's in Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. She's so yeah. good in Moonrise Kingdom as well. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so we have uh, Nomadland. We have Minari, which has been at the center of some controversy with the Golden Globes because they could, wouldn't include it as an American movie, even though it was produced and made by in America. It, it's kind of weird. Let, let me go on record. Let me go on record here. The Golden Globes are meaningless. They, they are. Suck, they are. They do like suck. That. They do and suck. And people treat them. People treat them with some kind of pizzazz because it's like the second oldest award show after the Oscars, and like yeah. a lot of celebrities show up for the show. But that's the reason the Golden Globes exist is so that celebrities show up to the show. Yeah, and get drunk. To, you know, all awards are stupid. I get that. But like, I actually care about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. No one should care about the Golden Globes. I They're agree. Dumb. I completely And like, agree. The, I actually, the supposed I draw power. So hey, go ahead. I, I draw some enjoyment from the Golden Globes just because Ricky Gervais comes on and makes fun of all the <laughs> in the audience. And <laughs> yeah, it's fair. People talking about Minari's being shafted by the Golden Globes. Yes, they've been shafted, but also stop thinking of the Golden Globes mean anything. They're stupid. Yeah. They're dumb. Whatever. I agree. I agree. I just think it was 
particularly shitty of them to to, to do that to mm-hmm. this film because it's right. by all accounts great movie sounds, sounds like you have some the feelings Oscars. about the golden <laughs> yeah yeah a bit a bit then we have a uh, promising young woman who that which was supposed to come out march last year but has been delayed and we we haven't been able to say it, it has released in theaters in the yes. u.s where it was yes, it available uh, but of course most parts of the u.s you wouldn't go to a theater right now and it's releasing on right. streaming i think next week or something it was supposed to be like i think that. it was i'm, yeah, I'm very excited yeah it, this looks great revenge movie looks i love Carrie mulligan fantastic yeah another round is by the director of uh, the hunt uh, it's a danish film starring mads mickelson uh, it, it's sort of a, a, a quirky but also existential comedy about uh, some middle-aged men who decide to uh, basically start day drinking every day and uh, shenanigans. And Great stuff. idea. Yeah, yeah. Then Zola I, is I a film. I feel like this movie. I I thought I remembered seeing it available on streaming services it, uh, before the end of 2020. I I don't know. I I'm pretty sure it wasn't though. Uh, so. I'm I've definitely sure. seen it on Amazon Prime recently as Could be. one of those, Could you know, rent, in, sure. rent wallets in theaters. Or I'm, I'm not like entirely that, sure. But it, and then Zola is a film that somebody added on the list that I don't know. Yes, that is the uh, movie that is adapted from a Twitter thread, which I believe is the first huh. of its kind. What? Um, there was a... So I have not read the Twitter thread because I don't want to be spoiled for the movie, <laughs> which is a That's, crazy sentence to say. That sounds but, insane. Um, that sounds like you're making it I up. Think no, I think it was in 2018, I want to say, this woman identified as Zola had this just bananas Twitter thread about her time as a stripper in Florida, I want to say, that involved, like, drug running and murder and heists, and it was apparently just bananas, and it took over the internet for a couple of days. Again, I didn't read it. I don't know how I missed it. But then, like, immediately someone snatched up the rights to the story, and if you go to <laughs> if you go to the, the, the Wikipedia page for Zola... Um, it says based on, and then it lists like an article that like the article is basically just a recap of the tweets. So it says based on this article and also tweets by XYZ. <laughs> so it is based on tweets by this person. So she's going to get um, credit for it. That's I, I guess, but That's also, amazing. uh, tie it back to, um, Ma Rainey, uh, Dussie, the woman who, uh, Ma Rainey's girlfriend, the woman who plays Dussie is yep. also playing Zola in yep. this movie. So, uh, a, th- this played, I think Sundance and like. The people who, who you know who have who have podcasts that went to Sundance, they all seem to love it. So, cool. um, yeah, Zola, I'm in. <laughs> Based on okay. tweets. So, uh, we're running a little long, so I'm just gonna go through the rundown really quickly, and then we get into the stuff that we are personally most excited about. Uh, next up, we have a bunch of blockbusters that are coming out. Uh, we have uh, No Time to Die, uh, F9, the latest Fast and Furious, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, long-awaited very sequel, excited about top gun maverick yeah uh, just, just want to say that real quick just to see and we'll talk about it later but just to see tom cruise do some crazy stuff and risk his life for our entertainment well, um, i mean yeah i want to see tom cruise but also like i want <laughs> here's what i want i want to be i want to be in a theater and i want to see that the sunset and just everything bathed in orange and like yeah. the silhouette of planes flying out of that sunset and that cheesy fucking guitar riff going and then hell yeah yeah, that, hell yeah. i want that i want that so bad and i want glenn powell in a mustache with aviators i just want i just want all of this and i'm i'm so excited yes. <laughs> then i we need have that right now the uncharted movie uh, that is supposed to come out with tom holland uh 
I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. From it'll, the video game series. Yeah, it'll probably be terrible like every other video game movie. Most others, but it might be good. We don't know. I'm um, holding out hope. Yeah, I'm going to skip the ones that we're going to talk about later, by the way. Uh, then we have okay. uh, the Marvel movies that we are going to get into later as well. We have more four Marvel movies le- releasing this year. Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Spider-Man 3, and Eternals. We have uh, two of the villain mo- Marvel movies by Sony, Venom 2 and Morbius. We have Ghostbusters Afterlife whatever then we have raya and the last dragon by disney which looks looks really good uh, we have the suicide squad by james gunn we have the snyder cut which we are not going to be talking about please um <laughs> and i want to do a whole episode about it we could we could but not today <laughs> not today <laughs> we could technically um then we have some well i call them relatively smaller movies of interest but what i mean by this is Basically, all the other movies that are releasing that are not based on franchises or IP or that sort of thing. Uh, some of these we're going to talk about uh, when we talk about the movies that we are personally most excited about. But we have uh, movies like West Side Story by Spielberg, In the Heights, Babylon, which is the next Damien Chazelle film that's supposed to release. Uh, Ridley Scott is making a movie and etc, etc, etc. A couple but, movies, actually. Two? Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. He's having a busy year. Nice. I didn't yeah. know that. Um Anyway, so do we want to get into... No, each of us has uh, five... Each of us is going to just throw out uh, five movies that we that are the ones that are most exciting to us personally. And then at the end, we're just going to say uh, which one of them is... If I could watch only one film in 2020, which would it be? We'll just say that at the end. So who wants to start? Uh, Josh, Grizz? Uh, I'll start by saying that you missed a couple on the list that we're not going to discuss. Oh, sorry. One being... Blonde, which Blonde. is the uh, biopic about Marilyn Monroe starring Ana de Armas, which just that huh. logline right there, I'm in. I'm very excited about yes. it. Uh, Ana de Armas is Ana de Armas awesome. was poised to have a big 2020 being a Bond girl and playing Marilyn Monroe, and now she's poised to have a big 2021, <laughs> assuming both or either of those movies come out in 2021. <laughs> and then the other movie was uh, Don't Worry Darling. That was the last movie I had to our list. That is... The Adam McKay movie, Adam McKay's next movie after oh. The Big Short and Vice. Yeah. And I wish I had it in front of me and I had pulled up how many people are currently listed as being cast in this movie because it is <laughs> a lot insane. Like yeah. every famous person you've ever heard of appears to be cast in this. And like Adam McKay's made some great movies, so I'm, I'm excited for whatever he does next. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, now that those are mentioned, I can go to, I guess, my first that I'm most excited about. Uh, uh, I'd say we can go in release order just... Just to have well, I don't have the release but... order in front of me, so oh, okay. I'm just going to yeah. go off the top here. Then just go uh, you go mentioned ahead. Ridley Scott and him making a couple movies, so let's talk about The Last Duel. The Last Duel was supposed to come out, I think, Christmas or fall of 2020, and it got pushed back a full year. Now it's like, I think, October. Yep. Yeah, October 2021 is the current plan. And uh, again, it's directed by Ridley Scott and stars uh, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and um, Adam Driver and Jodie Comer from mm-hmm. uh, Killing Eve. And but the real headline for me is that this was uh, the screenplay was written by Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Same. and Nicole Hall of Center. Yep. And so uh, you guys may remember that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are both Oscar winners for screenwriting yep. when they collaborated yeah. on the script for Goodwill Hunting. You know, more than twenty years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, they both. I don't think they've collaborated on a screenplay since. They they no, both I have don't. writing credits elsewhere, but never together. Um, so I'm just really pumped to see like them back at the keyboard together. So uh, you know, Ridley Scott movie always gonna be good. Usually, well, not always. Usually, always yes. gonna be at least average. Yes, 
You yeah, if I can say that, I think I, what's exciting about this movie is that Ridley Scott is a brilliant visual direct director. All his movies look fantastic and are really well directed. His best movies have really good scripts. When he works with a really good script, he makes an amazing movie because visually he's a master. And so having that team writing is, is you know, promising. And, and I also want to shout out Nicole Hall of Center, who people probably won't talk about because she's mm-hmm. not Ben Affleck or yeah. Matt Damon, but she also has a writing credit on this, and she is a great uh, indie writer-director in her own right. So I don't know you know, I don't know the details. I don't know if like Matt and Ben collaborated and then she was brought on later, or mm-hmm. if she collaborated with the two of them, but regardless, she's great. I want to shout her out. Uh, plot-wise, the only thing I have is that it was it's based on this book called The Last Duel, A True Story of Trial by Combat in Medieval France. Um, yeah. Medieval France kind of turns me off a little bit. The fact that this takes place in the 14th century, I'm not like totally jazzed about. But yeah. it's Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and I'm sure Adam Driver will get to wear a cool knight's costume or something. So that's that'll be good. And it, I'm worried uh, about their accents. Their accents, yeah. Uh, oh, I hope they well, just go American and forget about the accents because otherwise I, I it's wasn't just until be terrible. you just said that, and now I am. So thank oh you, no, oh um, I hope not. Apparently, it reminds uh, me of the Family Guy. Um, yes, yes, yes. Been having like, oh no, I have to be King <laughs> Henry. Henry in, yeah. in, in, I have to be Henry the Eighth in eight minutes. Uh hello, hello, hello. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just referencing uh, that bit with my wife I, a couple weeks I, ago. So yeah. I would like to diso- disassociate myself from this um, as the British-speaking guy on this. You know, whatever. Uh, no, I'm doing an impression of Ben Affleck yeah, doing yeah. an impression. He, he would be terrible. I hope they go for a normal American accent. We don't need. Well, it's, to, it takes to place in France, and it's about oh, two no. knights who are ordered to fight to the death after one of them is accused of raping the other's wife. So that's the premise okay. of the movie. And again, Ben Affleck, well, like Matt stuff. Damon. Yes. Yeah, I mean Ben right. Affleck, Matt Damon, both <laughs> writing and also in front of the camera acting. So sign yeah, me it, up. I'm excited. It Last sounds movie. good. Yeah, it sounds, sounds great. Good. Um, do we want to go one by one, or do we want to go yeah. through the whole yeah, yeah. list? Yeah. Okay, go, Grizz. Grizz, go. Okay, uh, well, uh, then I will go ahead and say that uh, the first one on my list is Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, which, of course, is coming from Disney. Uh, it's, you know, the next Disney animated film. It releases March 5th, 2021. Directed by Don Hall, who was uh, co-director of Big Hero 6 and Moana. Hmm. Cool. And also directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who was the director of Blind Spotting, which is Ooh. such a good movie. Really good. Really, very really good. under the radar yes. movie for a lot of people. If that's streaming uh, somewhere, watch it. It's really good. Uh, and it's starring Kelly Marie Tran as Raya, uh, who Hell you yeah. will remember as Rose from The Last Jedi. Yes. Hell yeah. Uh, and less her lesser role in rise of skywalker <laughs> uh, diminished <laughs> diminished role yes uh and also stars she had to do aquafina. technical stuff come on <laughs> also starring aquafina uh who was fantastic in the farewell yeah uh and i also really enjoy her in her comedic roles because she is a, a comedian uh and she was in crazy rich Age- asians and jumanji and the, honestly she was really really good in jumanji the mm-hmm. next level so you know, if that if if you had any interest in watching that, you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to mention, like Aquafina is also going to be Scuttle in the new Little Mermaid remake. Oh wow! I don't know. Yeah, that. and she's in Shang Chi as well. So like, her contract with Disney must be insane. Yeah, <laughs> they, they have her in like four movies coming out in the next you know two years. <laughs> um, what what is this movie about? Yeah. So uh, the the plot is basically uh raya is you know has been training her whole life to defend 
the Dragon Gym, and uh, but the world is changing, and you know, uh, you know, for, I, I don't remember all the details from the trailer, but uh, basically she has to adventure out. She has to find the last dragon hmm. uh, in order to save her culture. So that, and she's got you can you guys can't see the picture, but she's riding this like armadillo mole. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So the but it looks adorable, and Disney's always good with animal companions. So mm-hmm. I'm. I'm <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. Looking to see. Looks really cool. Looking to see what they do with that. Um, but on so on top of you know what sounds like an interesting story, I'm a lifelong Disney fan, and uh, you know so I'm always excited for the next animated Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be my turn. And first up, I have. Uh, I'll start with the French Dispatch because it doesn't have. It's the only one on my list that doesn't, yeah. doesn't have a release date. Uh, it there's a uh, Wikipedia says a generic May 2021, but IMDb doesn't have a specific mm. release date, so we don't, don't really know yet. Um, it's the next film by Wes Anderson with a gigantic cast starring all the Wes Anderson staples. Uh, you know, you have your Tilda Swinton, Lea Seydoux, uh, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet is the first time working with Wes Anderson, but somehow it feels like he fits perfectly with like, his... It feels like he fits that. Yeah, it really feels really like does. he yeah. should have been in a Wes Anderson movie already. Uh, you have Jeffrey Wright, uh, obviously Bill Murray, Owen Wilson. It, it, it's an insane cast. Um Movie is set in Paris. Uh, in 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 no, I don't, no, actually, it's not Paris. It's a uh, non. It's I think it's a fictional French city uh, in 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 the mid twentieth century, and it's centered about centered around this French dispatch, which is a newspaper, American newspaper in France. So I think the inspiration is the International New York Times, which is in Paris, and it's an American newspaper. Uh, but it. You know, it it's a Wes Anderson movie. I I don't really care about the yeah. plot. It's just gonna Fantastic. have it's gonna have quirky, quirky characters. It's gonna have symmetrical shots uh, and uh, <laughs> beautiful uh, classic rock music and Great Owen dialogue. Wilson being weird. I I just love it. I love all his movies. Uh, they're quirky, fun, and they're just charming little things. And yeah, I'm excited for it. We gotta do it. Wes Anderson episode at some point. Oh, oh for sure, I'm, for sure. I'm so down for that. I love love his stuff. I yeah. also love Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, and I'm also like we also haven't seen we haven't seen a live action Wes Anderson movie in going on six years now, seven it, years now I guess. It's or it six was years. what uh, 20, end of 2014. 2014, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that that came out in March. That yeah, that was like close to seven years uh, now I think. It, yeah, it came early in the year, early in the year. Grand Budapest Hotel is what we're talking about. Yeah. Grand Budapest, uh, if yes. you didn't yeah. know, which is a just amazing, amazing movie. Yeah, he's, the, uh, it's my favorite by him. It's brilliant. Probably his best. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's probably his best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need to make a list. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Regardless, I'm just I'm jonesing for for a Wes Anderson. Like Isle of Dogs was 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 good, but like I yeah. I want I want this movie now. Yeah, it didn't. That not, was Isle of Dogs not after Grand Budapest Hotel? It, it is live was. action. Live yeah, action. Said yeah. Live action. But his Sorry. last live action was yeah. I feel like seven years uh, Isle of Dogs was was good, but it didn't do anything that it, he hadn't already done in Fantastic Mr. Fox. So it it didn't feel as as cool that he was doing stop motion. I think, uh, yeah. but. Whatever. Next up, who was first, Josh? Uh, I'll go next. Uh, yep. Let's talk about um, Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. which also does not have an official release date, yes. but should be coming along sometime in 2021. Hopefully. This is directed by Martin Scorsese. Ever heard of him? Sold. And uh, <laughs> starring starring Scorsese's two golden boys from different parts of his career, one, one Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio and two Mr. Robert De Niro. Yes. So again, yeah. have, that's all you need like, to know. I think Move, moving on. <laughs> the, 
those two, I think, have combined made ten or twelve Scorsese movies. But um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm in just based on that. Apparently, it's uh, adapted from a nonfiction book about um, murders in like the Osage territory of Oklahoma. So Martin Scorsese, Ludo Caprio, Robert De Niro in a movie about murder taking place in like the 1920s. Uh, I'm 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 so in. I can't even tell you how much I'm in. Also, uh, it was adapted. It was adapted by Eric Roth, who is mm-hmm. one of the greatest screenwriters of all time. Probably, uh, mm-hmm. he wrote a number of things, but among mm-hmm. them, uh, Forrest Gump, and uh, he had uncredited work on Mank earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Roth's amazing, so you should know who Eric Roth is. But regardless, uh, just everyone making this movie, I have the utmost confidence in, and I'm so excited. I hope it comes out at some point in 2021. It should, I think, mm-hmm. and um, I believe this is going to be an Apple TV Plus release yeah that's like where a, where oh, i get a bit no. concerned yeah, like a, a, a co-thing <laughs> with paramount and apple tv plus i know that marty is a big theatrical person where he yeah. works in theaters but uh we'll see what kind of world this movie is released into before yep. we that's know hope. how we will i just it. i mean i'm saying oh no not because i'm against them releasing movies on you know streaming services i'm against releasing it on apple tv because it's like the only streaming service I haven't already signed up for. <laughs> well, you should, just so you can watch Ted Lasso, because Ted Lasso is the most delightful thing I saw last year. So uh, get Apple TV Plus just for that, and also for this movie. So yeah, Kills the Flower Moon, hopefully we see it. Um, yeah, I'm definitely sold. Great. Okay, so now it's me, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, sorry, but I guys, we're about. running a bit long, so let's try to be That's quick. cool. Okay, uh, next one I have is One Night in Miami. Uh, releases January 15th, so like, you know, next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is directed by Regina King. This is her feature film directorial debut, uh, starring Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X, Ellie or Eli Gorey as Cassius Clay, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Uh, Hell yeah, man. One, um, um, yeah, awesome. I was sold just at... Uh, um, at uh, Leslie Odom Jr. playing Sam Cooke just because I, w- I love love to hear him sing. So <laughs> so I was on board for that. Uh, but then uh, watching the trailer, uh, there's good conversation. The, the, the whole premise is that they're, you know, these four icons are, you know, me- meeting together in this hotel room one night in Miami. And so I imagine it's going to be a very conversationally driven Based on a movie. play. Uh, also based on a play. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm excited for that. And I, in in particular, I look forward to, you know, the clever Cassius Clay, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, yeah. jokes and persona. I, 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 I'm excited for all that. Not to mention, uh, Regina King is a fantastic actress, and uh, I look forward to seeing what she does in the director's chair. Yeah, for sure. Also, uh, people have seen this movie. This played a few festivals last year. It's like we do have some level of response to this and it's been overwhelmingly positive so far so uh i'm, I'm pretty excited to see this too just because you know it's probably gonna compete for oscars uh in, in in april yeah i hope i hope i can see it it doesn't currently have a release date in italy anywhere so i don't know it i it'll probably release before the oscars or around the oscars here so i'll, I'll be excited to see it then um is it my turn no Yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, next up, I have Last Night in Soho, uh, the next movie by Edgar Wright. Ed- Edgar Wright is brilliant, just a genius. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, he started out in comedy, then he moved to more of an action-driven uh, movie with Baby Driver, 
And now he's completely moving away from comedy because this film, at least how he describes it, is a psychological horror. Uh, he cited some inspirations like uh, Nicholas Roeg's uh, Don't Look Now and Roman Polanski's Repulsion. So he's looking back as, uh, you know, psychological horror from the 60s and 70s. So very paranoia driven. Um, it's all set in horror. Hor it's all set in Soho in London. And it's, I think... It's on two different timelines, one in the 60s mm. and one in present day. And it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who's always great, and Thomasine Harcourt oh, yeah. McKenzie, uh, who you might know from Jojo Rabbit. She plays the, uh, the Jewish girl who hides from... Leave No Trace. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's a great young actress. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it just because I, I love everything Edgar Wright has ever made. So, yeah. And I'm excited to see him fully going into horror because he obviously loves horror and you can see that in in Shaun of the Dead you can see it in, in oh, yeah. World's, End, World's and, End and so yeah I'm, I'm excited for it I hope it's great it's gonna be probably uh co-written by Christy Wilson Cairns who co-wrote 1917 with Sam Mendes which I, I really enjoyed that movie but it was like low-key pretty well written yeah I think people talk about the cinematography in that movie a lot but like it was also a really good script flawless Yes, but uh, Christy Wilson Cairns, <laughs> uh, Scottish screenwriter, shout out to her. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, last night's a hose. Is, I'm also very excited for it too. Yeah, I think it's gonna be great. It sounds brilliant. So, uh, my turn, and let's talk about uh, King Richard. Mm -hmm. King Richard is a, I think it's gonna be HBO Max movie. I want to say, but you know, we'll see. It was slated to come out in 2020, now 2021. It stars Will Smith as. Um, uh, the father of Venus and Serena Williams, uh, Richard Williams, huh. hence the title, King Richard. And um, I don't know many details, but it's presumably about the influence he had uh, in their young lives and helped develop them into the uh, tennis superstars they eventually became. Um, I do know that the the two pe the two young actresses they have cast for Venus and Serena, one of them is like 14. So I'm hmm. assuming like that's kind of the time frame they're focusing on is like Venus and Serena at that age. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super excited. Uh, I, I don't know if this is going to be like a Whiplash kind of movie, mm. uh, Damien Chazelle's movie from from six years ago, but uh, I hope so because Whiplash is one of the best movies of the last twenty years. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, just Will Smith in this uh, in a dramatic role in like a, a sports drama. Is, About time. Yeah, I mean, I don't need anything else. Yeah. And also, I love the Williams sisters, so I'm excited to see anything about. Yeah, them. honestly, like I think that uh, we need to talk more about not on this podcast, but we in general need to talk more about how Serena Williams is maybe the most dominant athlete of all time. Like One she's off. like in the re relative in that conversation <laughs> relative to her relative to the rest of her sport, her dominance is on par with you know Gretzky and yeah. Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan. Like it's it's insane, and which it's is just fun. because tennis doesn't get the draw mm -hmm. that yeah. some of the other sports do. But also, if uh, you know tennis, you get that credit. You would also argue about uh, Steffi Graf and Martina Navratilova. So uh, it's debatable, but okay. certainly... <laughs> you mean Navratilova? Navratilova. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever, you guys. Uh, Let's not get into that. But yeah, yeah but I agree. My, in my the last, is... Let's say in the last 20 years, she's one of the really one of the most dominant American sports figures in the world, for sure. Yes. And you don't get to be that way with a normal childhood no. and a normal upbringing, yeah. I would think. So I think no. this movie is going to be interesting. At least yeah. I, have, I have high hopes for it. Agreed. Okay, so next is me. Yep. Yes. So next I have Luca, the next Pixar film. You know, we're just coming off having talked about Soul a little 
last week, and so, you know, why stop now? <laughs> Looking forward to more Pixar in 2021. It is releasing June 18th, uh, directed by Enrico Casarosa. How am I doing? I'm not. Is he Italian? Is he actually Italian? Because the movie is set in Italy. Yes, he is an Italian. He is an Italian director. Okay, then it's Enrico Casarosa. Enrico Casarosa. Because I wasn't. I wasn't sure if he if he was uh, Hispanic of origin, actually. But I know the movie is set in Italy, so I guess yeah. Yeah, which is great. It means they got. They actually got an Italian director to direct a movie set in the Italian Riviera. That's great. Absolutely. I don't have any casting info yet on this movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is unusual for a movie that's supposed to be coming out in you know six months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm excited, of course, because I love Pixar, and you know I've I, I never I've never missed one like watching it the first weekend, except for the Cars sequels. But I did go <laughs> back and watch those eventually. Fair. Uh, <laughs> but uh, unlike the more introspective Soul or Inside Out. This seems like a Pixar movie more in the vein of Up or Onward, based on mm-hmm. what, what you know what information they do have out on yeah. the movie, and the focus looks like it's going to be more on an unusual friendship between characters, and that's always something that people can relate to. So I think it's going to be a good one. I, cool. I I saw somebody on Letterboxd write a review about this and call it uh, Pixar's Call Me by Your Name, and yep. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I don't know. I love Pixar, and it's an Italian P- Pixar movie set in Italy, directed by an Italian. Call me by so your name. Awesome! I love calling by your name. Yeah, <laughs> too. So awesome. Uh, sounds good. Uh, my turn, I think. Um, yes. And okay, so I'm getting now to the movie that I was most excited for in 2020. That was unfortunately uh, delayed, which is June. Um, Denis Villeneuve's mm. adaptation of the fantastic book. Frank Herbert. Uh, yeah, yeah, Frank that's Herbert. enough for me. Yeah, Denis that, Villeneuve is, Denis, is for enough me, for me. Okay, Denis Villeneuve <laughs> is enough for me. Then adaptation of Dune done with the correct budget, like giving it a proper chance to be good, is also enough for me. And then the brilliant cast would also be enough for me. Combine all that and it sounds just fantastic. Um, there's some contra- controversy around this film because it is coming to HBO Max and Villeneuve has we'll been see. quite... Yeah, we'll see because it might we don't know but currently it's slated for october and it should be coming out uh, in theaters and on hbo max in the us and villeneuve has been very vocal about this because he believes because this isn't an adaptation of the whole book it's only the first half and if you know the book there's a, there's a clear cutting point that i'm going that I'm, i imagine is where the book the, the the film is going to end um but villeneuve has been vocal about this and he's been saying oh we might not get to make the sequel and complete the story if the movie doesn't make enough money at the box office. So doing this move by Warner Brothers, where we weren't even consulted, is a problem, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, we'll see. found out via twi- Twitter. Yeah, so. it, yeah it, was, it was unfortunate, I have to say. But um, we'll see what happens with this film. But if it does release, I'll, I'll support it in theatres because this is the type of movie that you want to see on the biggest screen ever because it's Denis Villeneuve right. and he makes stuff that looks incredible. Oh, and that's an important thing screen, just yeah. to say in general with the way the movie industry is right now because of COVID. Yeah. If we are able to go back to theaters and, and see these movies in theaters, I of course encourage everyone to do so and go see more movies than you used to just yeah. to, because For we sure. gotta, we gotta save the theater chains so that yeah. we can go to movies. In theaters. Absolutely. <laughs> cause, cause to be honest, the everything going to streaming 
is something that I'm not too excited about. I hope I get to see all these movies on the big screen and I hope that going forward think, the, the big screen experience is still there and available, you know. I know that Warner Brothers said that every 2021 release will be on HBO Max day and date, but yeah. I'm not confident they're going to stand by that for the entire 12 months of 2021. Uh, particularly, like, by October, Yeah, I don't know. Most experts seem to think that, like, by the fall of 2021, we may be approaching something close to normal COVID-wise, yeah. so maybe theaters will have opened by then. It'll depend. I don't really know. But It'll like, depend on that, yeah. And how, the, yeah, and so, how quickly the, the vaccine can be spread yeah. across the population to, and all that. Your, but to your point, Hugo, I think that Denis Villeneuve definitely would prefer to see this in theaters. I'm sure yeah. Warner Bros. would prefer to see this in theaters from an economic standpoint. Yeah. And I think that if they if they can put this in theaters, they will. So even yeah. though they've already committed to all the 2020 releases on HBO Max, I'm not sure they're going to hold on to that for Dune in particular. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah. All right, my what turn. You, what you got, Josh? Uh, I have The Tragedy of Macbeth. We have a Macbeth movie coming out in 2021. And the reason I'm excited about it, it is written and directed by one Joel Cohen, who is one oh. half of the Cohen brothers. And notably his brother Ethan. Huh? By himself? By himself. Yes. Yeah. Notably his brother huh. Ethan is not collaborating on this. So it is the first Cohen brothers movie from either of them that does not include the other. Hmm. So, you know, I've said on this podcast many times before, I love the Cohen brothers, my favorite directors. So I'm not entirely sure how to feel about this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is like, you know, listening to Wings or, you know, this dude shall pass, George Harrison's first post-Beatles album. I don't know. Uh, I I love My Sweet Lord. <laughs> I love What Is Life, but I also love the Beatles, so hopefully this is an aberration and not the new future. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's written and directed by Joel Cohen. It's obviously the, you know, Shakespeare play, one of the most famous stories in the English language ever written, and uh, stars Denzel Washington, ever heard of him, as Macbeth, and Francis awesome. McDormand as Lady Macbeth. And Brendan Gleeson as King Duncan. And, yeah, I'm just really in. Um, everything about that I'm in. Uh, cinematography by Bruno Del Bonnell, who shot uh, the Coen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis. Mm-hmm. And is also one of the greatest living cinematographers working right now. So, Oh, it's also produced by A24. So, mm-hmm. Coen Brothers and A24 doing Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Like, just injected into my veins right now um of no official you know, this means francis mcdormand is once again playing an unlikable person <laughs> <laughs> yes uh n- no official no official release date but i I'm, i know that they were in production when covid hit in march and then they continued production in like june or july and they wrapped production in july so unless this movie has an 18 month post-production window we will see it in 2021 i would think so let's do it tragedy Macbeth. hell yeah very cool very cool. Um, so next I have In the Heights, hmm. uh, yeah. which yeah. You know, is a musical, uh, releases June 18th, uh, same weekend as uh, Luca uh, is the current slate, so that'll be a busy weekend for me. Uh, directed by John M. Chu, director of Crazy Rich Asians and two step-up movies, which normally I would Ooh. say is not a highlight of someone's uh, <laughs> you know, IMDb page, but when you're doing a musical, a guy who sure. knows how to shoot a Absolutely. dance movie, that that's important. You're, you're uh, bearing the lead here. Why is this an important musical? Or why is this like a musical people should be excited about? Because it is written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Ever heard of him? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so he, this, he wrote this before Hamilton. Yes. Uh, and uh, this is starring Anthony Ramos, uh, who you would remember from Hamilton, mm-hmm. and uh, A Star is Born as well as Stephanie Beatriz from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Hell yeah. 
and Jimmy Smits from NYPD Blue, several Star Wars movies, yes. loads of other TV shows, and The West Wing. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the reason I'm most excited for it was that uh, In the Heights debuted on Broadway when I was in college, and I was in the Glee Club in college, uh, and so a lot of the guys that I sang with were also very into musical theater, and they were absolutely nuts about In the Heights, and, uh, you know, they, they, want, they all wanted to go see it and everything. They wanted to go out to Broadway. Uh, I don't know if they ever did, but so it's been on my radar since I was in college that, oh, at one point I want to see In the Heights because for me, I don't like to go uh, just listen to the music from a musical. Mm -hmm. I want to see the musical because it's literally half of what the production is, is is the visuals. So, uh, so I have, I've never listened to it. So I'm excited for that. And, you know, everyone was right about Hamilton. And then I finally got Mm -hmm. to see Hamilton when it went on Disney plus. So I'm quite confident that I'm going to enjoy In the Heights. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that you said that Lin-Manuel Renner wrote this before he wrote Hamilton, which is true, but also was it was a produced musical. Like, it's not like Hamilton was a big hit, and they're like, hey, Lin, what else you got? And he's yeah. like, well, I got this I wrote six years ago. <laughs> no, it was also, you know, a produced, and it was a hit, too. Like, yeah. to your yeah. point, people were aware of it, and they loved it, and, like, it wasn't quite as big of a hit as Hamilton, which became a cultural sensation, but it, it was good. You know, it was well-received, so I'm, I'm very excited for this as well. Awesome. Lots of musicals okay. in 2021, aren't there? Compared to most years, at least. There's at least two. Yeah, at least two that are <laughs> but high profile, you know? Yeah, for sure. That doesn't happen every year. Um, what, what, uh, what you got there, Hugo? Yeah, next up I have Mission Impossible 7. Um, what do I need to say? Uh, the Mission Impossible series, in my opinion, even though it might not be my favorite blockbuster series, but in terms of just being consistently great at what it does, it's probably the most consistent blockbuster series going on right now um it's so good it's, it's so, good. so good like the movies keep getting <laughs> yeah. better and better uh yes. tom cruise risks his life uh he runs a lot and chris mccorrie is the the one who who made the last two which are probably the best two uh and he the, the best thing about this movie these movies are how far can you how much can you do in camera they don't care about they don't use that much cgi they try to make everything happen for real and the way they have to engineer ways to make these incredible action sequences happen is half of the fun of the films like watching the 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 making of of these films is literally half the fun at least for me and yes yes, they like someone someone pointed out to me recently like they are their own myth making absolutely as, as part of promotion for Mission Impossible 6, they went on talk shows and showed Tom Cruise breaking his ankle yeah. while making Mission Impossible 6. So like, again, it's, exactly. like, it's self-myth-making as, as they're making the movies. And, yeah, and he's so committed. Like, he for the last film, he learned how to do halo jumps and fly helicopters. And, and I'm, I just want to see... He learned to fly helicopters for the movie. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And I, I just want to see what they're up to. How do you top that? And they managed to do it. I just want to see what his insurance policy looks like. Oh, he doesn't care. He's, he, I think he fired an insurance company on the fourth one that went for the Bougie Khalifa scene. That, that makes sense. Also in the fifth one, which I I hadn't even seen the fifth one, but in the fifth one, he is holding on to the wing of an airplane as it flies. And they actually did that with Tom Cruise. And they said, if we hit a bird, Tom Cruise is going to die. Yeah. Luckily they didn't hit any birds, but yeah, I'm sure the insurance is insane. For these movies. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, this, this one and the next one are coming out back to back. One is 2021 and the next is 2022. And they're supposed to be the big uh, conclusion to this story because, I mean, Tom Cruise is amazing, but he's also 57 years old. 
Um, he's getting old. At some point, he's going to have to quit during at least doing something this intense and so the fact that they are teaming up to make a conclusion to the story is really exciting for me because sometimes these series you know they keep going uh, on and on and on and they never end but the fact that they are doing something final for this is really exciting uh, they've been filming i think i think the film has almost wrapped production uh there was the famous uh, there was that huge rant that uh, tom cruise did <laughs> against the crew because they weren't following covid procedures that came out on twitter that was funny uh, but anyway uh, on you, tom cruise. yeah i just want to do <laughs> I, I just want to see tom cruise do some crazy shit to be honest it's going to be great don't we all that's one of definitely one of the tops for me this year yeah same if, if you hadn't said it it was going to be on my list yeah <laughs> Okay, Josh, last one. So the last movie on my list is called Soggy Bottom. Uh, it's written and directed no by Paul Thomas Anderson, who is oh, one of my oh, favorite okay, yeah. Uh, directors. Um, yeah, he's he's amazing. Every movie he's made is amazing. Uh, most recently, Phantom Thread, which was outstanding. And uh, this is kind of going back to Paul Thomas Anderson's roots because uh, it takes place in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles in the 1970s. And that is both the time and place where paul thomas anderson himself grew up it's also the time and place where he got his big break in the film world with uh, boogie nights now 23 years ago and uh it stars bradley cooper and cooper hoffman who's the son of late great philip seymour hoffman who also had a huh. ongoing relationship with paul thomas anderson and appeared yeah. in most of his movies uh it also co-stars um alana haim who's one of the haim sisters of the band haim and also uh, Benny Safdie, who is one half of the Safdie brothers. Uh, I don't know anything about this movie other than the fact that it takes place in the San, Fern- San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. And that while they were filming it last year, there's a lot of paparazzi pictures of Bradley, Bradley Cooper, Cooper in, in 70s hair right in, a, in a white <laughs> 70s suit. I'm glad it's on screen. Uh, that's also very important to me. So just yeah. whatever whatever's going on there, I want to see it. I want to know more. Um, it, apparently, on Wikipedia, it says the movie depicts a high school student who becomes a famous child actor in the 1970s portrayed by cooper hoffman again son of philip seymour um yeah i'm freaking in that just paul thomas anderson i'll see anything he does uh on opening night so uh i'm a lifelong fan of his i'm very excited for this soggy bottom and the title is insane as usual all his titles are (laughs) incomprehensible and they're awesome so that's not true but yeah some of them come on a lot of them are weird you don't know what they mean, but they're great. You know. I, I know what Boogie Nights means. You, you, I know what the Master in. means. I know what Magnolia means. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> Inherent Vice. A it's a tree. What does it mean? <laughs> I, I just I just feel very well, good. Inherent Vice is a Thomas Pynchon novel, so take that up with Thomas Pynchon. Not, Fair enough. Not, not <laughs> Fair PTA. Enough. But I, I, I'm always right. really confused at Paul Thomas Anderson movies, and I love them, and I don't well, know why sometimes, and I don't know what happened, but I love them anyway. So I think I know why. I'll explain to you why you love them, buddy. So don't worry. That's we'll we'll talk Paul Thomas Anderson soon on this podcast. Fair I enough. Think, fair enough. <laughs> Very soon, yes. Yes, okay. Cool. Uh, okay, so for my uh, last of my five is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is one of the, uh, I believe we said four, four Marvel movies slated for 2021 release. Yes. Uh, this one releases July 9th. Uh, it is directed by Destin Daniel uh, Cretton. Cretton? I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but is he was the director 12? of... Sorry? Is that Short Term 12 guy? Uh, he did uh, Just Mercy. Was his, oh, his okay. Most recent, sorry. His most recent uh, film. Uh, and it's starring Simu Liu as Shang-Chi, uh, Michelle Yeoh, Aquafina oh, yeah. again. 
<laughs> uh, Sorry, so, I just love Michelle. Uh, yeah. Reason I'm excited. Yeah, she's great, and you know, dating back decades now uh, in movies that have managed to gain popularity in the United States, all the way back to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and you know, so I'm I'm very excited about that. Uh, but the other reason I'm excited, I'm a MCU fanboy. I got my you know Civil War poster on the wall behind me. <laughs> uh, but uh, so in addition to that. Uh, after 23 movies, it'll be 24 after Black Widow comes out. Shang Chi is going to be completely unlike all the previous Marvel movies, and that's something that's really nice to see in a franchise as big as this. Uh, they're going to, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, it even comes close to the cultural impact of like Black Panther. I doubt that it'll quite achieve that zenith, but uh, I, I, you know, I like representation matters, and yeah, this is. You know, a big step in the Marvel universe for them to you know have you know in this case, an you know all Asian cast for mm-hmm. Shang Chi. I mean, it's not all, but you know, similar to Black Panther, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So the other thing that I'm uh, excited about here is that this movie is going to show more about the Ten Rings, uh, which is uh, in in comic books. <laughs> there's a character. Sorry, me, me and Josh are looking confused. Who uses his? <laughs> His, you know, in addition to his, the Mandarin has the uh, mastery of chi is his superpower, mm-hmm. and but in addition to that, he also has ten rings of power that all do different things like disintegration or matter manipulation or shooting like force blasts, you know, stuff right. like that. Right? Very comic booky stuff. Yeah. Fire, wind, heart. <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> uh, but he, he was the Mandarin was traditionally Iron Man's biggest villain, and Iron Man is my favorite comic character. Full stop. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was very sad with the way they did the Mandarin in Iron Man three, uh, because you know we'll talk about it. They, I'm not gonna. We'll talk about that later. But uh, you know, so I'm excited to see this because it's a chance for them to do right by a character that, at least for hardcore Marvel fans, uh, they may not have absolutely loved. It's grown on me. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But uh, um, I'm very, very excited to see uh, the Ten Rings get the treatment that uh, I've been hoping for. Uh, quick note, I said, you, when you mentioned the director, Destin Daniel Cretton, I mentioned Short Term 12. He actually did write and direct Short Term 12 in 2013 before Just Mercy. So I just wanted to yeah. throw it out there. Also, Short Term 12, amazing movie. Everyone should see it. <laughs> so, okay. uh, Hugo. Yeah, am I the last one? And, yeah, uh, yeah this movie... Uh, I, I don't know. I can't even explain how excited I am for this movie, and perhaps I shouldn't be. Uh, it's The Matrix 4. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm one of those weird people who loves the whole trilogy of The Matrix uh, to varying degrees. Obviously, the first one is, is an absolute masterpiece, and then the second and third are not as good. Uh, but personally, I, I absolutely love the second one, Reloaded, and I really also I also really enjoy the story in, in Revolutions, even though the execution is admittedly spotty. Um, and I also really like most of what the Wachowski sisters have done. Um, I love Cloud Atlas. I'm watching Sense8 right now, and I think that's brilliant on Netflix. Cloud Atlas is really good. Cloud Atlas is really good. It's, very, very it's good. a really, yeah. really, really, really good film. And uh, The Matrix 4, unfortunately, only has one of the sisters, Lana, 
Um, Lily Wachowski has has been taking sort of a hiatus from directing ever since. Uh, yeah, ever ever since she she came out of Strands, um, she she took a bit of a, a step back. She she's still involved. She always obviously she's still involved with the story. She she's been writing some TV shows, but she hasn't been involved in in directing. Uh, since then she's she says she's on a hiatus and she's probably gonna come back later um but lana is still on it uh she's writing this uh with david mitchell which is the author of the book cloud atlas he's he has second credit on this on this screenplay and i i can't explain it i'm so obsessed i i've been obsessed with the matrix for 20 years and you don't have to explain it it's the matrix 4 it's I don't know. There's something about the idea that yeah. they're doing this now. I feel like they wouldn't do it because they, for years, they said we we don't care, we don't want to do it, and I feel like they wouldn't because I, I, I'm not sure if it was David Mitchell who came to them with sort of an idea, but anyway, they collaborated with him, and I feel like they wouldn't do it because they are the Wachowskis have many flaws in their movies, but they they go for it. They take big squid swings. Uh, they do ambitious projects. They do interesting projects, even even when For they sure. don't completely work out. And they're at least interesting misses when they're misses. Yeah, they're at least interesting. And yeah. they are very much their own. They have very much their own ideas, themes. Uh, they don't care about visual working styles. visual style. They don't care about working within the system. And I I do believe that they wouldn't do it if there wasn't a reason uh, why they want to do it now. Um, and also, Keanu Reeves is coming back. Carrion Moss is coming back. He is. He is. Okay, I was going to ask. He is. There's some things that happened at the end of Revolution. Exactly, and I, I want to know. I want to know what happens. Uh, Keanu Reeves comes okay. back. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss comes back. Comes back as Trinity. She also, okay. you know, there's stuff that happens to her in Revol- Revolutions. Uh, Jada Pink- Pinkett Smith uh, coming back as Niobe. Um, Lawrence Fishburne, interestingly, not in the film currently, at least. Hmm. Uh, we have Lambert Wilson, who played the Merovingian in, in Reloaded and Revolutions, who's coming back. Uh, my theory is he's going to be the sort of the main uh, villain of this new movie, but we don't know. And, you know, interesting, char- in, interesting character actors. Uh, we have uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Jessica Henwick, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mathin II. Uh, we have a bunch of actors from Sense8. Um, they wrapped filming in November, so the film is definitely done and coming out despite COVID. And I don't know, I have no idea what this film is going to be. And I'm honestly, I'm I'm being obsessive. I, I'm spending reading cyberpunk books, watching cyberpunk uh, movies. I'm going to play the cyberpunk video game as soon as CD Projekt Red actually fixes it. Um, I, I just I just need to see this movie. I, I just need it. And and if I had to pick one, I, this would be definitely the one that I'm most excited about. I don't know how you guys feel uh, about The Matrix, cool. but I, I just adore it. Uh, I'm super excited for any new Matrix movie. Um, yeah. You know, they're enormous, enormous movies in, in pop culture. And, you know, The Matrix, the first Matrix movie arguably changed blockbuster filmmaking for the next 20 years. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what, what's next. Chris? More bullet time. <laughs> yes. So anyway, uh, we went a bit okay. long, but okay. Do you, do you have anything yeah, so to say about the metric? Cool. Sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Go ahead. Yeah. Wrap us up. Just to wrap it up, I'd like to ask you what if you had to pick one. I already said for me, it would definitely be the Matrix Four. Uh, if you have to pick one movie that you can watch in twenty twenty one, and you, everything else gets deleted, like it doesn't exist, which would be the one that you'd absolutely have to see? 
Tough question, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a really tough question. Okay, I'll make it easier. What's the one you're most excited about? <laughs> soggy bottom. Soggy give, me, bottom. give me Paul Thomas Anderson in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. Yeah, soggy bottom. Hell sure. yeah. I don't... Chris? I, I, I'm not good at, I'm good at ranking movies after I've watched them. I'm not good at ranking them before yeah, I've watched them. What are you excited about? <laughs> what are you excited like, about? If, if, you say, if, if I said you can only watch one of those five, what's the one that you're going to choose to watch? Uh, if I can only watch one of the five, then I would, I would, I would say Shang-Chi... Okay, uh, because I, you know, Marvel. Hell yeah, <laughs> makes sense. So, uh, our idea for the next uh, three podcasts will be that uh, based on the movie that we're most excited about in 2021, each of us is going to pick um, a film to remember for the following week and uh, a main topic that we're going to be talking about. So, for example, uh, next week it will be Grizz's turn. Am I right? Or, yeah, we're, yeah, we're gonna watch yeah. Iron Man three. Yes, uh, because as I mentioned before, that there's a treatment of the Mandarin in that movie. Yep, and the Mandarin is going to be in this other one. Uh, bonus points for anyone who also watches the short that they filmed that is a follow up to Iron Man three. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for you guys to watch that. It's probably on Disney Plus, uh, right? But and then we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk Marvel movies mm-hmm. next week. Cool. Yep. So that's the example, and we'll be doing similar stuff uh, the following weeks with mine and Josh's uh, pick. Uh, so if that's it, let's hope twenty twenty one is a good one. A lot of movies to look forward to, and yeah, uh, see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Please remember like, to subscribe, like, share, subscribe, yes. and share. <laughs> and all that I almost stuff. had it. I almost had it. I just almost had to had forget. <laughs> Bye, bye. All right. Well, as Hugo said, thanks, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>